Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's nice to be, to be here and uh, to be able to speak to you. And, and, uh, and uh, my goodness, we haven't been able to see each, most of us or many of us haven't been able to see each other in, in quite a while. And boy, this is certainly different, isn't it? Um, uh, we have, and I think many of us have ancestors that uh, lived in the time of the uh, 1918 pandemic. And uh, that must have been a really trying time, time as well. And, uh, but uh, we're surviving, we're adjusting, we're trusting in the Lord, and, uh, and that's, that's what's important. Uh, just want to thank Nick and Becca for, for their ministries and uh, uh, for uh, Becca with Compass Care and, and uh, that uh, that would be, we, we know she is uh, uh, very, very involved in that, and, and how we praise the Lord for uh, her involvement there, and and uh, uh, we uh, just want to continue to pray for each other because the the fact that we don't necessarily see each other that often, uh, prayer is all the more important, and um, so uh, we just uh, encourage everyone to keep that going and and um, and to to, uh, to lift each other up. Uh, in prayer. And uh, so um, we, uh, th- this, this whole pandemic situation is certainly uh, testing our faith. And uh, uh, that makes it all the more different and uh, all the more uh, trying. And, uh, uh, but how thankful we are that the Lord is, is working with us and all the same and and uh, we uh, uh, just are uh, so happy that uh, uh, we have our church and, uh, uh, and uh, that, uh, <coughs> that we can pray for each other. And uh, we know that people are calling each other and, uh, and uh, what, a, what, a, what a comfort that is. And uh, so uh, we'd like to, I'd like to this morning... Uh, uh, just go over some scriptures that are of, of, of a good challenge for us and a good reminder. Uh, nothing very long, uh, but um, uh, in this t- trying time, it tests our faith, tests our strength, and it tests our, pa- our patience. And uh, I'd like to share briefly, briefly with you uh, just a few examples from God's word about how we as believers uh, can patiently trust in God in this situation we find ourselves in. Um, and in I'm, I'm thankful, thinking uh, of blind Bartimaeus this morning. You're, I'm sure, familiar with uh, that man's situation with his struggle and, uh, and how the Lord healed him. And... Um, uh, they were at Jericho. Uh, the Lord and, and the disciples were at Jericho. And um, before we uh, go any further into this, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time to uh, share and, and to look into your word just, just briefly. And, uh, Lord, we uh, just thank you for uh, your watch care over us. And uh, uh, we, we think of, of so many people. We think of Bob and Jean Lynch and um, the struggle that uh, they have in their life and their trusting in, 
in the Lord and, and how we, we thank, uh, we're just so grateful that uh, uh, you're helping them, Father, and uh, Lord, that um, uh, we, we do pray for uh, a gene to be improving and, and we just uh, uh, pray your healing hand upon her and, and strength for Bob as he ministers to, uh, to his dear wife. And um, uh, Lord, uh, there are so many others that uh, are struggling and, and Father, we uh, uh, pray that uh, you would uh, help them in, in whatever their struggles might be. And we know uh, uh, there are people that, that we are accustomed to seeing on Sundays that, that we haven't seen in a, in a long time. And, and uh, Father, we just uh, pray that you'd continue to, to um, uh, be, uh, be faithful on their behalf and, and uh, that they would remain faithful as well. And uh, Lord, uh, we just uh, pray that this time would be special for everyone. So, uh, Blind Bartimaeus, uh, Jesus and the disciples were leaving uh, Jericho. And um, uh, there, had, there was quite a crowd there. And, um, but uh, as they were leaving, there was a man off to the side of the road who uh, was uh, waiting for Jesus. And, th and that was blind Bartimaeus. And uh, he, he cried out when he couldn't see when Jesus came along, but uh, they were just coming out of, of, of the, whatever building they, they were in there and as they were leaving. And, uh, but he knew that they were there and that they were on their way. So he cried out to Jesus. And uh, he was a beggar. And he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd began to shush him to have him to be quiet. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, someone uh, mentioned to Jesus that this man was here. And Jesus said, turned to him and said, uh, what, what is it that you would have me do for you? And he said that I might receive my sight. And uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he said that I might receive my sight and um, immediately his, his sight was healed. He was healed, he could see and, uh, and he joined them as they, as they went on their way and uh, uh, that's, that's just a, another one of Jesus' many miracles. It's, it's interesting when, when Jesus... Uh, to proclaim someone to be healed or when, or when he touched someone to be healed, uh, who was healed, uh, the, the healing was instant. Didn't have to wait, didn't have to call a doctor, uh, didn't have to do anything. Uh, the, 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 uh, the healing was instant and complete and, um, uh, and, and they rejoiced and, and uh, oftentimes Jesus would, would admonish them to not to tell anyone and, but they would tell everyone they could, they could come across about him and about what he had done for them. Um, on another occasion, uh, 
On another occasion, a woman with an issue of blood that she had had for 12 years uh, came to where Jesus was at this certain point in time. And she was uh, either she was ashamed or she was afraid or nervous or, I mean, you can imagine approaching Jesus Christ, uh, knowing what he could do for you. And, uh, uh, but she came up behind him and she touched the hem of his garment. And she was, just like blind Bartimaeus, she was healed instantly. And um, uh, she, Jesus said, uh, I felt power go out of me. Now, when he said, I felt power go out of me, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't mean that uh, he became weak in that moment, but he sensed the power that he had in him and that it had, had, been, that it had served a purpose. And, uh, uh, and he, but he was, he was able to, to heal whoever needed to be healed as often as they needed to be healed, um, uh, as many people that is, that needed to be healed. And he could, he could go on and on. There was no limit uh, to his healing capability. Um, and on another, in, at another time, he and his disciples were in a boat, and suddenly a great wind arose, and fear gripped them. Uh, they, they didn't know what to do. The, the waves were tossed and they were raucous and, and uh, it was a very bad storm, windstorm apparently. And, um, but Jesus was asleep in the boat. And um, as they were gripped with fear and he, he was asleep, they, they went over and woke him up and said, Master, save us. And uh, immediately the storm was calmed. And uh, their fear was, was uh, taken care of. Um, who knows what could have happened had, had that storm continued to rage. Uh, on another occasion, let's see. Um, yeah, that, that was uh, the, the last instance that I had for you here of his uh, power to, to change the circumstances and uh, to take care of people. And, um, uh, and, you know, we need to have the kind of faith that, the, that these people had, who in that day were uh, seeking Jesus, learning more about him, going to where he was, or in some many cases, he was coming to where they were, and uh, they, people just flocked to him, and uh, he healed them all. And uh, all who, who, but it took faith. It, it, you had to have faith, and uh, that that's the key for us as well. We must, if if we want uh, to petition the Lord for something that's that's a dire need that, that we have, we have to have faith. And all of these situations, those people had faith, and uh, how important that is. So just just like to uh, close with those thoughts, and uh, in closing. I'd like to encourage you uh, this morning. Uh, we go through these challenges at times, 
And um, all we need in the struggles that we have, in the struggles that we have, all we need is to call out to our Savior Jesus. He will uh, take our, our requests and, um, and he will act upon them in his good time and, uh, uh, and how faithful we need to be because he is ever faithful. So, um, uh, to God be the glory. Amen, church? Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Well, Pastor Ken asked me to uh, join with you today and uh, share some of his superpowers with you. And uh, hopefully uh, Iron Man can tell, you know, give you a little bit of encouragement and... Uh, any rate, well, Governor Cuomo says that we have to wear a mask, so we might as well have a fun one, right? So uh, thank you, Mr. Andy Chase, for uh, obliging me just a little bit. So two cohorts in crime uh, carrying on the work of uh, the ministry here. So, uh, well, yeah, you can't really talk very well through that, so we'll put that away. <laughs> we are glad to see each and every one of you. Uh, I'm just, well, I better put my glasses on too once again so I can actually see again. Well, good morning, Harvest and friends. I hope that you are having a great day so far. It's a blessing to hear from Pastor Jim and uh, just to have him with us. Uh, I know some of you haven't seen them in a while, so uh, we're glad that he is healthy and doing well, he and Patty, and uh, good to hear from him as well to encourage the church body just to continue in the faith and continue trusting God to get through all this. And uh, so we're glad that you're here and so forth. But we're glad that all of you that can tune in and uh, I hope that uh, you're having a great week. And uh, I'm excited. We're going to continue in just a moment in our studies of Second Timothy as we've been going through that. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to say I hope that you're doing well. I miss you all and I'm praying for you all every day. And I hope that you're doing good. And uh, let me just encourage you to stay connected. I want you to, you know, just do your best to, you know, make some phone calls, to send some texts, maybe reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while and just see how they're doing. Check in on them, make sure they're okay, make sure they have what they need, make sure they're not going stir crazy. I don't know what you can do about that, but uh, at least try and uh, encourage them and uh, go through your phone directory that we have. You can kind of remind yourself of a picture. And one of the things that we're doing a lot right now is a lot of FaceTime, a lot of video, uh, a lot of uh, Zoom meetings, some Skype, not not as much. Uh, if you haven't used that app called Marco Polo, kind of using some of that, you kind of, you know, just record your brief message and you send it to somebody like a text message, only it's a video rather than a text. But there's lots of tools. And let me just encourage you, uh, you're never too old to learn some of them, some of you. And uh, some of you, uh, just reach out to people maybe you haven't reached out to in a while and just see how they're doing and encourage them and, 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 and just kind of, you know, hey, let them know you're thinking about them and so forth. And uh, I know that, that they'll appreciate that. They'll, that'll encourage them so much. So I'll encourage you to do that. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn it to 2 Timothy chapter 3, as we're going to continue in our study in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 6 through 9. And as you're turning there, I hope that you have a you'll take a moment. This is really messing some of you all up, because your normal phone is is your Bible. You have the version app or another Bible app that you use on your phone, and now you're trying to figure out how to watch me and turn to your Bible at the same time. you got to get a book. So uh, let me just encourage you to find your Bible and uh, turn to it, and uh, that way you can follow along with me as we go through it. 
So well, two weeks ago, we looked at the first section of 2 Timothy 3 where Paul talks about 19 characteristics that are going to be obvious in some people who are avoided, that we are to avoid in the last day. And I know that sounds really crazy. Uh, you know, look at the, the title of the message, People to Avoid. You say, wow, are we really supposed to avoid people? Well, it's kind of maybe a little bit ironic that we're living in quarantine days where we're not supposed to be congregating with groups of people. And yeah, there's people to avoid because of a virus. But in this context, Paul is encouraging Timothy to take notice of some people that we are to avoid. And who exactly are those people? And we looked a little bit at that two weeks ago. And then he, can, he gave us 19 characteristics. And then a little bit later, he gives us six more that we're going to look at today. Uh, these characteristics that Paul mentioned to Timothy were not characteristics of people outside the church, but rather those who are already inside the church. And, and I know I've heard a lot of messages over the years where they say, well, in the last days, people are going to be in. They go through the entire list. And yes, there's some truth that people outside the body of Christ will have these characteristics. But really, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's already inside the body of Christ. And he said, you're going to notice these things more and more as you see the day approaching, as you see the, that we're in the last days. Now, this is where it gets a little bit difficult, a little bit hard to understand. Time will very often reveal the true nature of a character or the character of someone. You know, there's sometimes that we meet people in life and we say, eh, I'm not really sure about that person, not really sure how, I, I, how to take them, I'm not really sure if they're a believer, if they're not a believer, I'm not really sure whether they're following Christ or not following Christ, and, you know, maybe they, they claim to follow Christ, but maybe they're not, and, you know, sometimes you just don't know because God's Word even tells us in Second Samuel that man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And oftentimes, because we're looking on the outside, we don't see what's on the inside, but God does. And that's where we see oftentimes that yeah, time usually reveals the true nature or character of that person. Not in every circumstance, but usually time reveals those kinds of things. And unfortunately, Paul would not have had to warn Timothy of a situation like this if it were not going to take place. Uh, the very fact that he mentioned it presupposes the fact that it's going to become a common thing. And so Paul had to teach Timothy and encourage him to be on the lookout for those already in the body of Christ that maybe we shouldn't have as close a contact with. And this is a hard thing for many Christians to understand. It's like, well, I have to have a, a, a relationship with the unsaved to reach them, or maybe I have to do this to show God's love to them. This is not exactly what he's talking to here. There are those who claim to be Christians, who claim to walk with God, who are truly not. And this is what he's talking about here in this particular situation. But notice once again that one of the key issues that lays the foundation for what Paul is saying is found in verse 5. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. And that verse is a loaded verse that a lot of commentators don't want to mess with. Uh, they really really give a, a false definition or a false portrayal of what it's saying here. What we see here is a real picture of false piety, fake spirituality. The outwardly look like or talk like or act like they are godly or spiritual. However, the persona they are trying to portray is not real. Uh, 
The Bible says to avoid these people. Why? Because they're not generally followers of Christ. They need to get their life committed to Christ. So as we come into verses 6 through 9, we see six more characteristics of the people that God's Word says that Paul was teaching Timothy to be on the lookout for that we are to avoid in the body of Christ. And then you say, well, why, why, why would we purposely avoid people? Because we need to make sure that our church is truly following God's Word. We don't want to be something that God has not called us to be. We want to be genuine. We want to be true before God. We want to be real followers of Christ who are truly committed to what God has for us. And uh, so if someone is not going to make that commitment, he says they need, they need to come to that commitment. And, 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 and if you water it down or push it down or make it think it's not that big a deal, you're diluting the truth that is in God's word. And so we're to be careful on that front. And says so these are the people to avoid. So uh, we're going to start seeing six characteristics here, but I want to look at these verses before we get into them very far. Verse 6, it says, For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, So these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was in the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. You know, it's interesting here that God's Word uses some unique words here. And the first characteristic here is that they worm their way into the households. And you say, well, I've never heard that translation before. It is in the Christian Standard Bible. But the word worm is probably uh, oftentimes described in some of your translations as creep. In other words, they don't just walk in the door. They're not just like, hey, 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 welcome in, come on in. No, they worm their way in. And they creep in trying to make their presence subtle. Why? Because they're not truly like the rest of the people, but they want to blend in. They want to pretend that everything is just great and that they're just like everyone else. But the reality is they're not. And so they know just enough, if I could say it this way, they know just enough of the Bible, just enough of God's Word, just enough of the truth that they can almost fake their way into a conversation. You've met people like that before. They, maybe they're checking out church. Maybe they're, maybe they enjoy it and they're coming into the body of Christ and they're making themselves known and they're getting to know people and they're building relationships. But you know, there's just something not quite right. And they're, they kind of talk a little bit of the lingo, but then you find out, you know, what they're saying is not how they're living or what they say they believe is not what they're really conveying and how they live day to day when they work, wake up Monday through Saturday. And the reality is, he says, they kind of creep their way in. Even considering the evil or sinful mindsets, worldly views or philosophies, cultural influence. If we could say it that way, we're to avoid those things. Don't let them creep into our lives. If they come into our home, it will dilute our faith and make us not as strong in them. So they worm their way into households. Number two, they deceive or captivate gullible women. You say, well, am I picking on women? No, I'm not picking on women, but women are... I'm going to get myself in trouble here. A little bit more gullible at times. But literally, how it translates in is those who would be deceived. But he uses the illustration of a woman here. Uh, So don't, don't necessarily jump on that point, but here's what I want you to understand in here. 
Matthew Henry said, foolish heads and filthy heart makes people an easy prey to seducers. Let me say it one more time. Matthew Henry said this, a foolish heads, a head and a filthy heart makes people an easy prey to seducers. So when we are gullible, when people don't search for the truth, when they are not committed to know biblical doctrine correctly, they open themselves up to false truths. So, if what is packaged well and sounds believable, eh, maybe I'll jump on that one for a while. People, let me just say it like it is. Sometimes people are lazy when it comes to knowing the truth of God's Word. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is this, they don't take the time to study They don't take time to pray and say, God, teach me what you want me to know from this passage. They don't do research. They don't see uh, where Scripture compares with Scripture and really put in the hard job or the hard work of, of, of digging deep the treasure of God's Word. And as a result of that, and a result of that biblical laziness, well, I'll watch so-and-so on TV, or I'll read so-and-so because he's written a lot of books, or, well, this person's on the radio. And we kind of make a false assumption that just because they're on TV, just because they've written a book, or just because they are on the radio, or just because so-and-so likes them, that everything they say must be truth. Folks, sometimes you could be further from the truth on that one. Make sure that you study God's Word. And so what this is talking about, these people that were devoid, they're deceived or they're captivated in a sense that, well, it sounds good, it looks good, it sounds plausible, yeah, it must be okay. He said, be careful. Just because it's packaged well doesn't make it right. There's a lot of people that have a great ability or a personality or a wit about them that makes them makes you want to listen to them. It, it makes you want to say, hey, that sounds great. you know. And, and maybe they're a friend, or maybe they're somebody that you've known for years. And the reality is, make sure you study God's Word. But it says here in this passage that these women are overwhelmed by their sin. Wow! You say, if you're not really sure what that means, read further. Uh, These women are led astray by a variety of passions. And within the Greek context here, there is an idea that there is sexual lust, there are improper desires or comforts that they are captivated by whoever it is that they're listening to. And the reality is this, they can't seem to focus on what is right and true. They're so distracted by these lusts, these desires, these comforts, that they have a hard time focusing on what they know or should know is right. They can't focus. And then God's Word goes on and says in the same verse, For among them are those who worm their way into households, deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins, led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. These women are always learning but never come to the truth. How can that happen? How can I be under the preaching of God's Word? How can I be in Bible studies and and just not be going forward? Well, it says these women are always learning. Their lives are marked by immaturity. We're to avoid these people. Why? Because they're not mature in their understanding and application of God's Word. They continue to learn from false teachers. You know, over just a few pages to the right here, in the book of Titus, chapter 1, 
I want to read verses 10 through 16. It says, For there are many rebellious people. And remember, even though he says gullible women, it literally can be translated those who would be deceived. Let me give you an example of those who would be deceived from Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. It says, For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. You get the idea here? They're warming their way in. They're, 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 they're deceitfully coming in. They're subtly coming in. They're kind of making false relationships with a false pretense so that they can get something out of them. So he says we need to silence them. They're ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. And one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may sound in the faith, may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who reject the truth. So once again, here's God's word saying these people who teach falsely are to be avoided. Why? So that their false teaching doesn't permeate our correct truth of God's word. And then he goes on, verse 15, says, To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. Why? Because they have bought into the lie. They have not believed the truth. They're still immature in their thinking. And verse 16, it says, They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works and are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Wow, I pray that that would never truly be our reputation, our mindset, that, that as God sees us, that yeah, you just have a, a little bit of a look-alike to a Christian, or maybe you talk like a Christian, or, or maybe you kind of act like a Christian sometimes, but you're really not. Wow, we need to be on guard to make sure that those things don't become part of our life. And so he says, be careful to learn from them. Their lives are not changed by God and his word. And for all the Bible studies that they listen to, for all the TV preachers that they listen to, for all the books that they read, they're just not getting it. And that's why he says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Avoid these people. Well, number three, we find another characteristic, and we find this in verse 8. It says, just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. We see a third characteristic right there in our text. They resist truth. You know, here's the thing about that word resist. It's an active imperative. In other words, once again, it's something that they are choosing to do. You know, there are people who actually choose to resist the truth for a variety of reasons. Maybe that's just not their opinion, or maybe that's just not their preference, or maybe it's just not their conviction. And for whatever reason, they choose to reject or resist the truth. Folks, I don't want to be around those who claim to know Christ, but reject and resist His truth. I want to make sure that if I'm going to have a presence in the world, that I want to show the love of God, I want to share the truth of God in its completeness. But if you're going to claim to know Jesus and yet resist truth, Something doesn't add up. And he says, be careful these people. Avoid them. And so there are people who avoid for a variety of reasons. Uh, maybe they just don't like what they're being told. 
I mean, when God's Word says, uh, if, I'm not willing, if I'm not willing to, to deny everything and pick up my cross daily and follow Him, then I can't be a disciple. Well, why do I have to give up everything? That's, that's not, that doesn't sound like a God that loves everybody. So they just resist that little truth. And when God says, you know, as Nick said earlier in, in part of his worship time, as he looked at the book of Matthew, he says, when you pray and when you fast and when you give, I don't mind praying, but giving and fasting, eh, I kind of resist those guys. Eh, you know, I kind of pick and choose what's, what's convenient for me. You know, when God says, uh, you know, pray without seeing, I mean, pray all the time? Are you serious? Who's got time for that? You know, there are people who pick and choose what they want to be obedient and faithful and committed to. And God's word says, that's not characteristic of somebody who truly knows me and follows me and walking with me. So he says, these people resist the truth. And when you see someone resisting the truth, one of two things has to be true. Either they're not completely committed to Jesus Christ and salvation, or they're walking in complete disobedience. God doesn't want partial obedience. He wants complete obedience, right? And so the reality is that these people that we're to avoid, they actually resist. They make up their mind. They are choosing to resist obedience and the truth. Well, he says that these men were like the Egyptian magicians. You know, back in the book of Exodus chapter 7, in fact, let me just go back to just for a moment. Exodus chapter 7, he uses the example of Janus and Jamboree. And uh, those are not everyday household names, which I'm kind of thankful for. I'm glad my parents didn't name me those names. Uh, I'm glad that I have a normal name like Ken. In fact, I, I often tell people when I say, my name is Ken Todd. They say, is that your first or last name? I say, yes. So um, uh, there are times that I'm just thankful that God gave me uh, one name that is a first name and one name that is a last name and uh, confuse people with that. But in Exodus chapter 7, uh, I want to look at verses uh, 8 through 13. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent, but Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. And However, Pharaoh's heart was, was hard, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. What are, we, what are we saying here? He says, they resist the truth. They, they, it's packaged good. It sounds right. You know, hey, that truth is not that much different from my truth. It's, it's got to be similar. You know, they're, you know, all these religions, they must be real similar. I mean, everyone's going to heaven, but they're all getting there a different way. Not the truth. And even though Pharaoh tried to mimic what God was doing, he couldn't do it completely because even Moses and Aaron's staff ate up the magician's staff. They're not the same. Uh, we could go on down verse 19 through 23. Uh, it says that, So the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, canals, ponds, and all the water reservoirs, and there will become blood, and there will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. And Moses and Aaron did, just as the Lord had commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. He raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink water from it. Their blood was throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. 
So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them. And the Lord said, Pharaoh turned around and went into his palace and didn't even take, his, take it to heart. You know, over and over, there's the world that tries to mimic some spiritual things. The world wants to mimic some portion of truth. The world wants to kind of talk the talk a little bit till when they're around this person or that person, they kind of sound like they're kind of churchy or religious or spiritual. But in the end, it's not the same. You see, you can't straddle a fence. You can't live for the world and, and live for God at the same time. You have to make your choice. And so these people that God's Word says to avoid, they kind of creep into the church. They kind of subtly make their way in. They may look alike. They may talk alike. They may even sound somewhat like a true follower of Christ. But ultimately, they resist truth. They want a God of their own making. They want to follow a God that, you know, that, that suits their own purposes and their own desires. And he says to avoid them. So... We need to be careful with people who seem interested, but they're not fully committed within the body of Christ. We see a fourth thing, number four. Actually, in verse 8, it says, goes on to say that these are men who are corrupt in mind. Corrupt. In other words, it's almost they've wormed their way into households. They've deceived those that would be deceived. They've resisted the truth. And now they are corrupt. So it is a progression that goes on. And it seems like the longer they're in it, and the longer they resist, the more corrupt they become. And God's Word tells us, once again, to avoid them. Why? Because evil company corrupts good manners. And we don't want the truth of God's Word diluted in any way. We want to be true to what He has for us. And they're corrupt in their mind. And this foolishness will be clear to all. It says very clearly, just like the foolishness of Janus and Jambres, these omission, these these magicians, they kind of captivate the crowds. Ooh, ah, oh, cool, yeah, ah, sounds great. And they're captivated. Yet, let's be real, they're corrupt. And it goes on and says it's like everything they're doing is almost believable, but yet false. And it says we need to be careful of them. Number uh, five, they are worthless in regard to the faith. Wow, those are strong words, right? When you, when you think of this, when Paul is talking to Timothy, and Timothy, remember, we've said this over and over throughout this series. Timothy, it's almost as though Paul is passing the baton onto Timothy and says, you're going to have to be working with these churches. You're going to have to teach them truth. You're going to make sure they stand on the solid foundation of God's Word. And I've been teaching you over and over and and telling you what to look out for and what to be careful of and and all these things. And then he goes on and says, they are worthless in their faith. My mind goes back to James chapter 2. True faith will produce good works. Ephesians 2 and 9, our works don't save us but then we come into verse 10, it says, but you're his workmanship created unto good works. So the natural byproduct of living for God is that you'll want to serve him completely, not partially. And yet it says their faith is worthless. In other words, it's not there. It's not real. It's non-existent. They're still looking like they're a Christian. They may talk like they're a Christian, 
they may in some circumstances act like they're a Christian. But that's only because they've wormed their way in. They've deceived those that would be deceived. They've resisted the truth. They've, they're corrupt in their mind. And they're, regard, they're worthless in their regard to the faith. And then we see number six. And this is sad. Um, because there are people that we have all met in our lives that it just seems like no matter what you say to them, they just don't get it, right? We, we talk and we talk and we talk, and they just don't get it. You try to teach them and teach them and teach them, and they just don't get it. Uh, you try to warn them and warn them and warn them, and they just don't get it. The reality is, this is a sad verse in verse 9. It says, but they will not make further progress. Why? It's because they resisted the truth. They're corrupt in their mind. They're regardless in their, or worthless in their regard to the faith. But as we come into this end of verse 9, it says, they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all. It's as though eventually, as I said when we started the message, in time, or usually over time, a person's true nature, their real character, will very often be revealed. And this is what he's talking about here. Over a period of time, even though they've crept in, even though they've deceived, they have actually resisted the truth, they've corrupted their mind, they're worthless in regard to the faith, and they're not going to make further progress. Why? Because they've Almost as it says in the, in the Bible, where they have seared their conscience to the point where they're just choosing to just kind of look the part. They've resisted. They don't want to know the real Jesus. They don't want to be fully committed to the real God of heaven. They're quite content and satisfied to just have a nominal pretense of Christianity. Well, this is quite a challenge to me. In my faith, I want to be real before Jesus Christ. I want to truly know the God of heaven. I truly don't want to just look the part. And I certainly don't want to have just a little bit of head knowledge. Because in the end, when it's all said and done, just showing up to church, maybe just giving a little bit in the offering, maybe just doing some kind deeds, maybe just... Hey, I did some Bible studies. In the end, none of that will matter, and I'll not spend not one minute of eternity in heaven unless I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. So looking like a Christian, maybe around certain people talking like a Christian, maybe some circumstances even, even portraying that you are a Christian, without truly knowing Jesus Christ, you'll not spend one moment of eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. My Bible tells me, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The reality is, there are a lot of people who are expecting to go to heaven because they went to church, because they were nice to people, because they talked the talk, or maybe even tried to walk the walk. But even in Scriptures... God's Word says, well, haven't we even cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done all kinds of these things? And Jesus looked at the seven and says, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
That's a staunch wake-up. That's a, that's a call to um, really contemplate, do I really know Jesus Christ? There are certain people, after a period of time, they just say, well, eh, that's great for you. Sounds great for you. I'm glad it works for you. That's just not for me. That's just too big a commitment. It's too big a sacrifice. I have to give up too many things for that. And can I say you'll spend eternity in hell? Except you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's not about joining a church. It's not about becoming a part of a certain denomination. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and a commitment to His Word in a relationship with Him. That's where it's at. If you're watching here this morning, I, I don't know who's watching, who's not. I just know that I know Jesus Christ. And I know that He's never failed me yet. Uh, we can talk about superheroes and great people that we know and great people that we love and respect and we can have fun with all that and laugh a little bit. But if you don't know Jesus Christ and have not made a commitment to Him, everything else is just fluff. When it's all said and done, and when I breathe my last breath, apart from Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him, I'll not be one, one inch closer to heaven. I don't know where you're at, but there are certain people, they've been exposed to the truth. They've been exposed over and over to what they know is right. And there comes a point where they say, ah, don't want it. I'm content with what I got. Can I just say, that's a sad place to end up. It's a sad place. These things have I written unto you, according to 1 John 5. These things, God's word, have I written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you truly know him? You can. I talk about it often. Are you willing to admit that you're a sinner? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. B, are you willing to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? He did exactly what he said he did. Romans 5 eight. but God demonstrated his love in this way, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You had a sin debt that you couldn't pay, so he paid it for us through his blood. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you want to admit that you're a sinner? Are you want to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? He did exactly what he said he did on the cross. And let us see, confess and call. In Romans 10, 9, it says, For with a mouth confession is made, but with a heart one believes. And with the mouth and the heart together we pray. Verse 13 says, For whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Folks, it's not in doing, but it's in being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't do enough. We can't pretend to be something we're not. We have to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I trust that you have that relationship. Simple prayer, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. A simple childlike faith. A simple prayer to God. And you can have a relationship with him. You see, at the end of your life, whenever it is that you die, whether it's now or 20 years from now or two minutes from now or 80 years from now, however long you live, 
once you die without making this commitment, it's too late. It's too late. See, after you die, you can't go back and say, I wish I would have. Too late. You have an opportunity now. And 2 Corinthians 6 says, Behold, now is the time of salvation. Do you know him? I trust that you do. Would you just pray with me as we close the sermon? And before I pray, let me just tell you, I'm going to come back on and give you a couple of announcements. So I ask that you not click off just yet. Stay with me as we pray. And maybe you know someone as you're listening to this that they need Jesus. Would you pray for them as we're closing in prayer? Maybe some of these things have been characters of your life and maybe you need to come to Jesus. Let me know if you've done that. Send me a message. Just let me know that you've prayed and trusted Jesus Christ, put your faith in him. That would be such an encouragement to know that. But if you know someone else that needs Jesus, would you pray for them as I close in prayer? And then I'll make a couple of announcements. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done for us. Lord, we're so thankful that these things don't have to be our characteristics. These things that we've talked about don't have to be part of our reputation. Thank you for the fact that we can truly know you. That Jesus can be our Savior and is for many of us. Thank you for allowing us to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray if there be one that's watching this today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. I ask God that for those who are resisting and rejecting and and they're just putting it down and saying, it's not for me, Lord, may you just captivate their heart and draw them to yourself, to your Father. Lord, for all around, those all around the world that are meeting today and sharing the word of God, God, would you accomplish your will, your purpose through the proclamation of your word, and we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I want to say thank you for joining with us today. Um, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Maybe it's challenged you in some areas. I hope that it has. It challenges me first. Um, but let me just also encourage you. Man, go back and listen to these messages. I've several times gone back and listened to Nick and Becca's and, uh, and Maddie and Ian's and, you know, singing and just been encouraged by that. I've been rejoicing in that. So I go back and I worship the mu- with the music there, and it's been really encouraging. And uh, then to worship in the Word, that's been encouraging. And then, number three, to worship through our offering, through our giving. And Nick did a great job to show us how we can do that, either through our website or the if you have a smartphone, through Easy Tithe in our website, uh, through your online giving, through your own bank, or just sending a check-in. Thank you for those of you who are so faithful at doing that. Uh, these are certainly some unusual times that we're living in, so thank you for that. And uh, in just a few moments, I'll be seeing something else in a separate video about the PPP loan that a lot of churches and nonprofits are going for. Uh, People are asking if we're going to do that, but I'll talk about that in just a moment uh, in a separate video. So thank you for tuning in with us today. We appreciate your your faithfulness to God and his church. And I'm so thankful that the church is not confined to these walls, right? Uh, The church is uh, out and about doing what the the church should be doing. And, And I hope that you're just living for the Lord, completely relying on him, and just trusting him through day by day. So... Hey, have a great afternoon. Thank you.